Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our New Testament lesson comes from John's Gospel. Uh, For those of you in the sanctuary, you can find it on page 114 in the New Testament portion of your pew Bible. Those of you joining us online, the words will appear on the screen. We begin with the 28th verse of that 19th chapter. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for the ways the Gospels give us a glimpse into those painful events of long ago. We thank you for the ways that you continue to speak to us through those words and pray that in this time together, led by your Holy Spirit, that we might hear the message that you intend for us on this day and be led to respond in ways that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, journalist Philip Yancey tracks the different depictions of Jesus as found in motion pictures. There's a wonderful video series that accompanies the book that offers you the actual glimpse of those uh, clips from film. And Yancey describes the wide variety of the ways that directors have imagined Jesus over the years. He speaks of one film where Jesus is depicted as a revolutionary, another one where the glimpse of Jesus is what Yancey calls a hippie in a world of Augustinian yuppies. And then yet another film where apparently Jesus, the character, never blinks his eyes. His intent in that book, of course, is not to trace cinematic history, but rather to reflect upon the diverse ways people have always pictured the mind of Christ. And at one point in the book, he offers of a couple other glimpses that weren't recorded in a motion picture. As Norm Evans, a player for the Miami Dolphins football team, said this, I guarantee you, Christ would be the toughest guy to ever play this game. If he were alive today, I would picture a six-foot-six-inch defensive tackle who would always make the big plays and would be hard to keep out of the backfield for offensive linemen like myself. Fritz Peterson, former member of the New York Yankees, imagined Jesus in a baseball uniform, saying, I firmly believe 
that if Jesus Christ was sliding into second base, he would knock the second baseman into left field to break up the double play. Christ might not throw a spitball, but he would play hard within the rules. Well, personally, I have a hard time picturing Jesus either in a football or a baseball uniform, including one with a tomahawk on his chest. <laughs> I've always liked the diverse ways that people have come to picture Jesus over the years. For I think that allows individuals and in all of the human diversity to know that he is one who understands their life and their struggles. I think that is a blessing when people bring to their understanding of Christ different kinds of views. And yet the problem for me arises in those moments when people seem to claim as if they know the mind of Christ. And whenever that happens, it gives me concern, including when I heard it in today's New Testament reading. During the season of Lent, we are focusing on those phrases of Jesus known as the last seven words of Jesus. And what we have discovered is that the four gospel writers don't remember those words in exactly the same way. Occasionally, they will agree with one another, but usually they have a different perspective and today's passage offers the shortest of the seven, only three, year, three words. And it is the only one that purports to know what Jesus was thinking when he spoke those words. Over the course of this series, there are three different times we're listening in on John's account. One has already happened two weeks ago, in that moment when from the cross Jesus entrusted his mother into the care of the one described as the disciple whom he loved, an unnamed follower that most believe to have been the author of the book. We have today's text, and then next week we will hear Jesus' last words in the fourth gospel when he says, it is finished, and breathes his last. In today's verses, we heard of a moment when Jesus from the cross says, I am thirsty. And someone takes a sponge, soaks it in sour wine, and lifts it up on a hyssop branch for him to be able to drink. It is after taking a sip that those very last words that will be our focus next week occur, and Jesus breathes his last. All of the gospel writers speak of there being wine that is offered to Jesus in this painful final stretch of time, but they disagree as to how many and to what is offered. Two of them say that it was sour wine, while one says that it was wine mi mixed with gall to make it bitter, and another says it was mixed with myrrh as a kind of painkiller. Three of the Gospels say Jesus did not take any of the wine offered to him, while Mark depicts two different times that wine is extended to God's Son. John's version, too, is unique, as he is the only one that depicts Jesus taking the initiative by saying, I am thirsty, 
which leads to the wine being offered to him. John is the only one that says Jesus took a sip of what was extended. But more importantly, John is the only one who says of that event that after this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill Scripture, I am thirsty. Now, last week, we recalled how Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And either learned or reminded in that moment that Jesus was quoting the first verse of Psalm 22. In this particular moment, some scholars wonder if what Jesus is saying here is again reflected in that same book, while others wonder if it is the psalm we heard earlier as our Old Testament lesson today. We don't know. Nor do we know exactly which one John had in mind when he says that Jesus spoke it to fulfill the scripture. And yet what I hear in John's statement Something that's not made anywhere else in the last words is an assertion that he knew the mind of Christ. Now, it doesn't surprise us that Jesus would have been thirsty. The suffering that the Gospels depict of the loss of blood and the sweat, the depiction that we have again of the very human nature of Jesus comes forth in this scene too. But John doesn't use that as the explanation. No, he says that Jesus spoke these words to fulfill Scripture. And I have my doubts about that. The reality is that to claim to know the very mind of Christ is something that is not regularly given to human beings that instead we can seek the mind and yet not always know exactly what Christ would have us do. And when people claim to know the mind of Christ, as still happens, it always strikes me as a, a very bold and problematic word. Presbyterian named Dave Carver from Pittsburgh once told a story on himself in that regard. He said, when I was a college student, I knew everything about the simple lifestyle and God's concern for the poor. I was arrogant and smug in my declarations that traditional American Christianity lacked any real compassion or devotion. Then I visited my grandmother, Helen Schutt, who lived in a New York trailer park. She was in rough shape financially and didn't talk to me much about her faith. I set down my copy of Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger and went over to the Frigidaire. Penciled on a scrap of paper was a copy of her monthly budget. On the income side, there was one entry, Social Security, $336. On the expense side, the first line read, church, $33.60. She listed other items such as food, insurance, rent, and then the total, $336. 
Grandma didn't say anything, Carver went on, and later I saw that the paper had been moved. And when people ask me why I tithe, I tell them the story about a beautiful woman whose actions said more than her words. I don't hear in John's assertion and explanation of why Jesus spoke the words any kind of arrogance, any kind of pride, and yet it is still a bold thing to speak as he did in that moment of claiming to know what Jesus was thinking. Which is why the affirmation of faith that we will offer in a few moments together feels better for me as it also talks about the mind of Christ. It comes from the Apostle Paul, included in part of his letter to the church in Philippi. And just prior to the words that we will speak together, he said to those first century Christians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. He goes on to call for that kind of model as we deal with one another. And then he said this, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. He goes on to offer some glimpse of what that mind might look like, of one who is connected with God and yet humble to other people, of one who serves, even sacrifices. Paul goes on to say that Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then he offers what's really a beautiful early church hymn, as he said. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let the same mind be in you, Paul said, that was in Christ Jesus. It's an aspirational statement, not one that we can claim we ever fully attain. And yet, Paul goes on to give glimpses of what that life might look like when individuals let Christ Jesus' mind be reflected in their deeds. For when someone extends compassion or grace, when it is not deserved, in that moment, I think they're reflecting the mind of Christ. When someone very intentionally chooses not only to live amongst those who are materially blessed in this world, but those who are on the margins of society. In that time, too, they reflect the mind of Christ. In those occasions when individuals resist the sense of being boastful and instead model humility, resist the idea of being selfish and instead demonstrate generosity, in those kind of moments as well, Individuals are giving a glimpse 
of what the mind of Christ would lead one to do. It is not the kind of thing that we will ever do perfectly, nor will we ever be able to claim that we know fully the mind of Christ and what he would want us to do in every instance. And yet there are these times when our deeds can come very close to reflecting what Paul had in mind. Now, having said all of that, one might wonder if in resisting John's interpretation, I am claiming to know the mind of Christ. And I am not. Did Jesus, in fact, speak those words of I am thirsty to fulfill Scripture? It's possible. It might be that John had a source of information that we are unaware of, and it could be that in a conversation with the risen Christ, he took Jesus back and said, when you said, I am thirsty, was there something more than you meant about your physical thirst? We don't know. It might well be that John was speaking of knowledge that we do not possess and was accurate in naming what was going on in the mind of Christ in that moment. That is certainly possible. And yet, I think the better model for us is to not claim absolute knowledge, but to humbly keep discovering it together. To not ever assert that we have reached a place of certainty in knowing exactly what Christ would want us to do, but that we can approximate it and we can draw closer. And that we do that best as we engage in this journey together. A woman in my first pastorate told me a true story of an event that had happened years before. It involved two young children who were sitting on the front porch of a house or some family gathering going on inside, and someone overheard the conversation that these two children, a small boy and a small girl, were having. As they were talking, they discovered that more than the biological tie, they had something else in common. As the boy's mother had died when he was quite young, and the girl's father had passed at an early age, too. When they discovered that piece of shared loss, the boy said to the girl, wouldn't it be something if your father and my mother met in heaven and got married? And the girl said, I don't think that's possible. And the boy replied, oh yeah, that's right. There won't be any preachers in heaven, will there? <laughs> While he might be right, I've always preferred to interpret his words as there'll be no vocations in heaven. And yet that spirit with which those two children were engaged in trying to understand these mysteries about life has something to commend it to us. The sense that together we are posing those questions, together we are learning, and together we can draw closer to reflecting 
what it is our Savior would have us know and do. We can look back on those brief verses from John's Gospel and conclude that he was right in knowing the reason that Jesus spoke those words. And we can look back on it and think that John read more into it than what Jesus meant. We don't know. And yet, what we do know is that we can strive to allowing the mind of Christ to come upon us. Not in a way that will ever perfectly match his intention, but consistently in a way that moves us along a path forward with deeds that will bring him glory and honor. Let us pray. We give thanks, O oh God, for the glimpses that we have in Scripture of your Son and his parting words to creation. We thank you for moments when we can ponder and consider what it is that you would have us to know and how you would have us respond. And we give thanks for those moments when we get close to what you would have us carry out in your name. Help us to continue in this journey with you, to continue asking questions, to continue listening to one another, that together we might take on his mind in ways that always point back to you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.